Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Hi, this is Kate Ebner. Welcome today. I'm so glad you've joined us. My guest today is Lynn Twist. And I always think about Lynn, that her presence in the world has changed the world. She is a founding staff member of the Hunger Project, where she worked many years ago, inspired by Buckminster Fuller to end world hunger. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Lynn's path has taken her to some of the most resource-rich and resource-poor places on the planet, and she has shaped global initiatives that bring hope and sustainability through the practice of a philosophy grounded in the principle of sufficiency. Over the years, I have been um, reading, practicing, inspired by, and working on um, bringing the philosophy of the principle and the practice of sufficiency into my own work and into my own business and my own life. And so it's with a particular uh, appreciation that I bring this conversation to all of you today with my guest, Lynn Twist. We're going to really give you, I think, an inspiring hour. So welcome to the show, Lynn. Thank you so much, Kate. It's just an absolute delight and thrill to be on your show. Well, as you know, the feeling is mutual, and you know, <laughs> I'm hoping that others who are listening to you for the first time, perhaps through this show, will um, will be able to kind of pick up on these ideas we're going to be talking about today. I know they've made a profound difference for not only for me, but actually so many of my coaching clients and some of the people who have um, taken some programming that we do here at Nebo, um, inspired by your work. So I want to just um, begin, Lynn, with a chance for people to be introduced to you. And I feel that um, your story in and of itself is a fascinating one because you have made so many powerful and interesting decisions. And so I'd like to just begin by inviting you to tell us about who you are. Oh, what a big, uh, beautiful question. Thank you. Well, I'm um, I kind of hard to define myself sometimes, but I'm, uh, I consider myself a global activist who's lived a committed life um, uh, and has worked on issues that are meaningful to me and hopefully to many, many people. And when I say a committed life, I, I, I mean that I've been governed since really since my, since my early 30s and maybe the end of the 20s uh, by my commitments rather than my wants or desires. My commitments have gotten me up in the morning, told me what to wear, who to meet with, where to go, uh, and 
what I mean by that is the, is the biggest commitments that I have, my commitment to end world hunger, my commitment to preserve the natural world, my commitment to um, empower women and girls worldwide, my commitment to give and receive love in every interaction, those kinds of commitments, not a commitment to be at the movies at six, although that does also have some impact, but um, uh, the kind of commitments that you find uh, are your destiny or living in the heart and soul of who you are. And um, that gift has been given to me really through the work of the Hunger Project, which, as you said, I, um, uh, I, I almost got reborn when the Hunger Project started. I was in the right place at the right time. I was a student of Buckminster Fuller. I had taken the programs of Est, uh, founded by Warner Earhart. I was a huge fan of John Denver's uh, singer-songwriter who was very popular in the 70s, and, you know, mm-hmm. his music still mm-hmm. lives on. Yes. And <clears throat> the three of them really uh, came together in the uh, 70s to look at the world situation and what was the most primary, most fundamental place where we were out integrity with one another as a human family. And it became clear to them that it was, at that time, hunger. To have a billion people, mostly children, hungry all the time in a world that's awash with food was an indictment of the human family uh, and a, a kind of integrity issue that that really wasn't uh, something we couldn't resolve, but something we had taken for granted and that there would always be, you know, hungry people somewhere. And that um, resignation, that um, lack of commitment or will to resolve something so basic to think that you couldn't provide food for your own child, which is this status of, at that time, uh, a billion people on Earth, uh, one quarter of the human family at that time, because we had 4.3 billion people. That, that was a stunner for me. I, I, I was swept off my feet by that reality when I really looked at it through the eyes of these wonderful founders, and then that uh, what was missing was the will, the commitment, the resolve, the determination, the absolute unequivocal uh, uh, promise to uh, not allow that to continue. And that became the focus of my life. I had three small children. I was married. I had my hands full with diapers and substitute teaching. I had started a school. Uh, I didn't have any extra moments to work on ending world hunger, but somehow that call, that deep and profound um, commitment resonated so fully in me that it swept me off my feet, and I began um, my work as a global activist. And my family really kind of came with me, rather than uh, being something I did instead of uh, being the mother and the wife of, of my my very, very precious family. They supported me. They loved me. They uh, permitted me. Uh, they let go of me. They embraced it, and they came along. And my husband became very involved in the Hunger Project, my children, even the little ones that they were at the time, and I really realized that everyone on earth, everyone uh, alive and breathing, uh, when they really think about it, can't imagine allowing people to die, particularly children of hunger and starvation in a world that's awash with food. Um, And so that really shaped me. And the Hunger Project years, uh, there were about 20 really full-out, no-holds-barred years where I was 
traveling all over the world, working with thousands and thousands of people, um, working in famine situations, working to raise consciousness, testifying in Congress, raising money. It really shaped me when you're trying to make something happen in a country like Ethiopia where very few people can read, where the government is corrupt, where there's a drought, where there's um, the famine is rampant. Um, you You have to really... Uh, go deep inside of who you are to find that place of unlimited capacity to serve, unlimited capacity to love, unlimited capacity to uh, deliver that which you know is right. And so whether it was Bangladesh or Ethiopia or working side by side with Mother Teresa or in the halls of Congress or raising money in Japan or starting our programs in, in Australia, I had the kind of training that you can't get in school uh, but you absolutely can't not get uh, when you are committed to making something happen. <clears throat> so those those years totally shaped me and shaped my relationship with money, which I know you and I have talked about before. Mm-hmm. And then more recently, um, I've gotten um, in a call from the rainforest, really, um, and I can tell that story if you like, to work with indigenous peoples of the Amazon to empower them to protect their lands, their culture, and those forests, not just for themselves, but for the future of life. And that's a huge part of my life now. And then another aspect of that is the Soul of Money Institute, uh, where I work on issues uh, uh, around money, because after fundraising for nearly 40, 50 years, Mm -hmm. I've learned something about money. And then I also work with the Nobel Women Peace Prize laureates, nine living Nobel laureates on... um, violence against women worldwide. So I have a, a real beautiful opportunity to be of use, to work with people that I respect, to engage in issues that are important to the future of the human family. And my children and my husband and now my grandchildren are all involved in everything. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, it's, it's fascinating actually to hear you to, to hear you tell this story in about five minutes, you know, it's a really big life story and you've, um, you've quite literally been all over the world. You've been uh, a fundraiser, you've been an activist, you've been a writer, you've been an encourager of people everywhere to, to I think, awaken the goodness in themselves and to share it uh, with the world. And I, I, it's, it's such a big story that you're right. We could kind of dive into any piece of it and tell people something interesting. It would be wonderful to hear you say just a little bit about um, maybe the Pachamama Alliance, that piece of it, because I know that's been a big part of the past decade. Well, in 1995, um, I was very, very deeply engaged in ending world hunger with the hunger project. I was, responsible for fundraising worldwide and the um, fundraising operations in 47 countries, including places like Mozambique, the Gambia, Guinea-Bissau, Sri Lanka, as well as France, Germany, Sweden, you know, countries where we often think fundraising is so natural, but also in, in some of the countries that we would call resource poor. I also was very, very deeply engaged in having people in Mozambique, for example, realize that they had money to give as well, and the money that they gave might not be so uh, heavy-duty on the balance sheet, but it gave them the experience of their own capacity to contribute, their own self-reliance, their own self-respect. And so my fundraising work in in the Hunger Project was really uh, transformational work, almost spiritual work for me, and I couldn't imagine doing anything else than work on ending hunger for the rest of my life. It was just totally 
I thought it was my dharma, my destiny, and my path. And in 1995, um, through a series of both practical and mystical events, I found myself in a group of 12 people who were uh, answering a call, uh, a kind of spiritual and mystical call from the Achuar people deep in the Amazon rainforest in one of the most remote rainforests on Earth, one of the most remote regions on Earth, um, uh, with the Achuar people, a call from them to have uh, contact with the outside world. And 12 of us traveled to Quito, the capital of Ecuador, down the valley of the volcanoes between the two Andes mountain ranges, then over the eastern side of the Andes, then down through the cloud forest, and then down through what's called the Pastaza River Canyon, till we got to the very edge of the vast and absolutely glorious and remarkable Amazon rainforest that stretches all the way across the continent of South America, thousands and thousands of miles. And we hired a military plane to fly us into Achuar territory, a remote and re, uh, roadless, exquisite uh, rainforest territory right uh, straddling the equator, which makes it the most biodiverse rainforest on Earth and the most important rainforest on Earth. And somehow the Achuar people who've had little contact with the outside world or at that point had had little contact, they knew somehow that their rainforest, the rainforest they inhabited, um, was absolutely critical to the future of life, and it was their job to be the custodians of those forests and to ensure that they were never destroyed. And they needed modern world partners, or they so they said, uh, to help them understand the modern world. So when they actually began contact, which which they knew was inevitable. Uh, they would have allies to help them navigate uh, their contact with the outside world. Um, and that encounter, which which really uh, totally changed my life, um, in the very outset of that encounter, there's a, a very famous quote now that came from the elders. Uh, and they said, even though we invited you here, if you're coming to help us, don't waste your time. But if you're coming because you know your liberation is bound up with ours, then let's work together. Mm-hmm. And it was in that initial insight that the Pachamama Alliance was born. The word Pachamama means Mother Earth, or to indigenous people, it means the earth, the sky, the universe, and all time. And the Pachamama Alliance is an alliance between indigenous peoples of the Amazon and the Andes, and conscious, committed people in the modern world like you, Kate, like me, and the people that are listening to this program for the sustainability of life itself. So out of that encounter, I, I realized, um, and my husband Bill as well, he, he was part of this, that um, even though it wasn't our plan for ourselves, it was our destiny. We'd never been to the Amazon. We didn't speak okay. Spanish. You know, it just was something we had to do. That's amazing. Well, you know, you've done so much with it. And for those listening, I really want to encourage you to go to the website. I believe it's www.pachamama.org. Is That's that right. right. Mm-hmm. Yes. And also to the, to the website for the Soul of Money Institute to learn more about the amazing work that's being done by both of these organizations. And I want to also send you listeners to the book that Lynn wrote, and it was published back in 2003. And it was a book called The Soul of Money. And I think, Lynn, that as a 
as a reader and as a coach and as a, I don't know what, a giver of books. <laughs> I've given more <laughs> of your book than any other book. I probably have given several hundred copies of your books over the you years. You have? Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> You're so welcome. But it's it's a book I love to give because it's it's a paradigm shift shifting book. It's a it's a book about it's it's titled The Soul of Money, but it's really a book that helps us to uh see the culture we're living in and understand the scarcity uh, perspective that shapes how we make our decisions and live our lives, and then it really helps us see an alternative, and which is you know called by called the sufficiency principle. Um, I always I always want to say immediately practice because we, it's it's not just an idea; it's something we practice. But to me, the soul of money is the most powerful book because when people read it, it becomes a starting point and they want to learn more. And so I want to say thank you for writing that book. And I want to also have you just tell us in, in the, the three minutes we have till we take a break. Um, it's fascinating to think about the global view you have and the perspective about money that's been sort of a, a vehicle for you, the fundraising role into this global um, impact that you make. Tell us, you know, what is it about money? What is it about, the, what is it about money that makes it such a channel for our understanding? Well, um, money is something that for most people is an area of life where they feel somewhat inadequate, even some of the wealthiest people on earth. Um, they feel often wrong or um, anxious uh, upset, um, feel like they've made mistakes or that they haven't done something they should have done or sh- didn't do something or sh- that shouldn't have done or did did do something they shouldn't have done, excuse me. Um, so there's a lot of baggage and upset and suffering and anxiety in our relationship with money. And I learned that as a fundraiser, raising hundreds of millions of dollars in countries all over the world and training 50,000 fundraisers in different cultures, no matter where you go, whether it's Brazil or Ecuador or Russia or France or the United States, people are kind of upset um, in their relationship with money. And it doesn't actually, it's not limited to people who are trying to stretch their dollars or their rupees or their euros to make ends meet. It's also uh, infects our wealthiest billionaire families who are also um, often quite upset, freaked out, troubled, in their relationship with money. So how much you have or don't have doesn't seem to be the deciding factor. And as I learned more about that, in and really in intimate conversations with people asking them to contribute to the Hunger Project or to the Nobel Women or to Pachamama Alliance, I, I saw a lot of uh, things about money that aren't in the MBA courses or in economics or in, in the history books. But this emotional kind of... Um, distortion that we all have around this stuff we call money, which seems so much more important than anything, yet in the end we know it's not the key to happiness, yet we kind of behave as if it is. So there's lots more to say about that, but it became a real area of insight for me, and it's like a handle for the transformation of your life. Um, Our relationship with money can be a place, uh, a a kind of a, a hidden or unknown place where you can actually have a transformation in your entire life. You know, Lynn, we're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, I think that's a wonderful place for us to pick up. I'm talking with Lynn Twist. My name is Kate Ebner, and you're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life.
when it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back. This is Kate, and I'm talking with Lynn Twist, my guest today. She is a global activist. She is a fundraiser extraordinaire, and she's an inspiring person whose life is, I think, a, a story of astonishing um, courage and inspiration, although I think as we listen to Lynn, she seems to just have moved into this extraordinary life, um, trusting uh, trusting in the path that's unfolded before her. And Lynn, you know, before the break, we were talking a little bit about the um, the transformational opening that one's relationship with money can actually offer. And I just want to give a little bit more time to that idea. You know, you were, ta- you were talking about the way that we attach so much meaning to to this thing called money and that as we kind of maybe step back and look at that it presents an opportunity for us to um to take a bigger look perhaps at at, at many other aspects of our lives and how we're how we're valuing things so i want to give this back over to you and ask you to tell us a little bit more about that well i think we've forgotten that we invented money you know it, it, it really is a creation we invented it and made it up it doesn't grow on trees. Pennies don't rain from heaven. It's not part of the natural world. And we kind of forget that we invented it. And we're completely at the effect of this invention now. <clears throat> and we invented it 4,500 years ago. And um, and really to to facilitate the sharing of goods and resources with one another. But um, now, 4,500 years later, we use it to withhold things from each other, to marginalize millions of people, to 
you know, accumulate uh, uh, and have more toys than the next person. So it's kind of gotten uh, distorted in its uh, from its original intent. And we've made it so important, so emotionally, psychologically, almost spiritually important that we, we're holding it or the way we behave um, it, 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 as if money is more important or has more meaning than human life. And that's, you know, insane. No one really believes that. But if you actually look at your own behavior, the behavior of most people, we behave, we take actions based on money actually being more important often than our relationships, more important than our families, more important than um, than human life itself. And that is clearly not true for us. It's... it's uh, it's a distortion. We've made money more important than human life, and we give money its meaning. It doesn't have any meaning of its own. We assign it its meaning, and we've made it more important than the environment, the natural world. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll destroy a rainforest for money. We'll pollute a river from which our children are drinking for money. We will pollute the air that we breathe for money. I mean, it's just kind of insane what we'll do for money. And we will cut off the relationship with a mother or a father over a money issue or a sister or a brother or an old friend and never speak to them again, which says the money is more important than that relationship. So we've done some real selling of our soul for money, you could say, Mm -hmm. and not Mm -hmm. just some people, many, 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 in fact, most of us. And so we have a, a, a kind of a relationship with money where we don't feel good about ourselves around it. And um, I delve into that in the Soul of Money book and also in our Soul of Money workshops and our fundraising trainings so that we can kind of clear that out, uh, put money in its proper place, and use it as the current or currency that it is that flows through our life that can be useful but is not the be-all, end-all. You know, I, I think that language is uh, really helpful to us, you know, that it's a currency that flows through our life. And, you know, the idea that you really uh, write about in The Soul of Money, um, the choice that we have about how we um, give, how we share that currency, whether we have a little bit or a lot or, you know, whether whether that currency is... Um, you know, is, is, is a lot to us or a little. We have a lot of choices about that. And I think that's such a powerful idea. Um, you know, Lynn, as I was listening to you in the first part of the show, you were talking about um, the human family. And I'm struck by that phrase, you know, that, that big look that you did early on when you said, you know, the situation with world hunger was an integrity issue for the human family. What do you think is the integrity issue today for the human family? That's a good question. Well, um, I think the integrity issue today for the human family is this. In 1987, we began as a species taking more from the earth than she can regenerate. And we went into what's called global overshoot. And it is as if we are living off an ecological credit card that we can never, ever, ever pay back. So taking more resources from the earth than she can regenerate puts us in ecological debt since 1987. Um, That's when we crossed that line. And many ecological economists predicted, forecast, that within 20 to 25 years, we would have a huge financial crisis that no matter what we did would not get resolved until we start living within our ecological means because the economy is based on the ecology. 
eco, eco. They are very related. <laughs> the human economy is a subset of the natural ecology. Everything comes from the earth, everything. This telephone I'm speaking on, the paper you may be writing on, the computer anybody's looking at now, the shoes you're wearing, the rug you're standing on, the chair you're in, everything comes from the earth. And, um, and so the out integrity now is that our species is taking way more than our share, number one, because it's damaging uh, and driving into extinction thousands of species every year, probably more than that. But also, we're taking more than the Earth can regenerate, actually destroying the natural capital on which all life depends. And I know that people don't necessarily think that thought when they're, you know, spending money or doing the next thing. But somewhere in who we are, the ecology of our own bodies, we know that and we can feel it. And we're off course and we need to correct it and we need to do it fast. So for me, that actually has huge impact on hunger and poverty, a huge impact on other species, a huge impact on our health and well-being, and it has an absolute devastating impact on future generations. And so for me, that's the big integrity issue, and I'm really appreciating this phone call interview uh, program because it makes me face that anew. I mean, I, 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 I love the way you put that um, because it, it, it was for me the hunger issue, and now uh, it is this and at this time in history, 2012. So thank you for the question, and I think that's what it is. Well, you know, I thank you for thank you for the answer, and I I think there's something that you said. I mean, you're I'm, I'm always learning from your language, Lynn. Something you said early on in our show. You said, you know, um, we needed to have the will, the resolve, the determination um, to change something, and I see that everywhere. You know, that there's sort of what we wish for, and mm-hmm. then there's you know, are we resolved to actually make this happen and make this change? And you are a person who has resolve and who has, as you said, been guided by commitment um, for a really long time. You know, what what do we need? What does the human family need to do to shift from sort of watching our own demise and the demise of, of, of the earth and its resources and, our, and life? Um, what, what do we need to do to shift from being sort of spectators to bringing the shift that you're describing? Well, um, gosh, I, I wish I could give you a point one, point two, point three answer, and I do have <laughs> ideas about that. I, I um, this is what I work on now, twenty four seven, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's many, 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 many millions of people, millions of organizations working on this. I must say that one of the things that I think I've come to see is the government is not going to resolve this, and the. Um, Part of the malaise or resignation or, you know, hesitancy about action around climate change, et cetera, uh, is that we somehow kind of assume uh, in an unexamined assumption kind of way that the government should be doing something about this. Why aren't they doing something about this? Like they did with CFCs and fluorocarbons in in 1996, when we discovered the hole over the ozone, the ozone hole over the the Arctic, and the uh, Montreal Protocol was written, and and the governments of the world unilaterally banned CFCs and fluorocarbons, and the it stopped immediately 
the growing of the hole in the ozone. And that was so impressive, and I was just reminded of that today because I heard a program about that on NPR. But now, to mobilize, to really reverse the huge, huge devastation of our environmental services, um, it's not even hardly in this um, current uh, presidential election. I mean, it's just hardly even mentioned when, in, in my view, it is the biggest challenge the world has in security, in health, in, in education, you name it. It's way, way, way more dangerous than terrorism. And, um, and to me, that, that it's not on the political agenda almost at all is so depressing. <laughs> just oh. depressing. But what I, what I, I guess what you're asking me for solutions, not the problem. So um, what I have come to see is that civil society, which is the largest participation event in human history, civil society meaning NGOs, meaning voluntary organizations, meaning churches, meaning girls clubs and boys clubs, meaning citizens taking matters into their own hands, um, Civil society is uh, huge now, millions and millions and millions of organizations, NGOs, non-governmental organizations, nonprofits, um, groups, uh, coupled with the business community, which is the largest institution on earth, bigger than uh, governments now, uh, the business community and civil society, just plain old folks working together we're going to turn this around. We must. And government will follow. But part of the reluctance or the tentativeness um, is the lack of our understanding or recognition that the government's really not going to handle this. They, they do the best they can, but, of course, they're strapped by every possible limitation in getting reelected, in working with Congress or Parliament, whoever is their counterpart. And um, individuals, we don't have that constriction. We don't need to get reelected. Um, businesses need to be viable, but they uh, but they can tackle these kinds of issues. So I think it's really folks, people, uh, a, 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 a movement of conscious, committed human beings, just like the work we did with the Hunger Project, and that's really what Pachamama is doing now. We're mobilizing, igniting, educating, inspiring thousands and thousands of people through our Awakening the Dreamer program, mm -hmm. uh, educational program. That's really where the power is, and that's what needs to be mobilized, and that's what's going to turn this around. Um, and it's, so it's really you and me and realizing, and everybody listening, that the choices we make in the next two, three, four, five years will literally determine the future of life on Earth for future generations for the next 1,000 years. The choices we make, and that sounds like a burden, but I see that as a huge, huge privilege to be alive at a time when we can live the most meaningful lives any generation of humankind has ever lived. That ennobles our lives, and that gives us the kind of meaning that no generation has ever had. So it's a spectacular time to be a human being, to be alive, and to have the opportunity to make a difference with your choices, with your life, with your energy, with your love, and with your money. Wow. Well, thank you. I mean, you shared with us what you see, and I think you see a bigger picture than, than many of us um, do every day, and, and that's incredibly helpful, to, I think, to everyone who's listening 
And then I think you also have given us a a perspective on the opportunity that's at hand right now. And, and we also need that. We've had, actually, Lynn, on this show in the past couple of weeks, we had a man named Joe Simperman, who's the D.C. Um, city councilman, um, D.C. Cleveland city councilman from Cleveland, Ohio, and he, uh, turning Cleveland into the the leader in the urban farming movement, the local food movement. They're creating a city that will have a garden within five blocks of every residence and uh, more than 300 farm markets. And very exciting what Cleveland is doing with vacant lots and foreclosed properties to create local food to feed people who um, wouldn't have access to great fresh food otherwise. And to me, the work of people like Joe and also we had Janine Benyus on the show um, this past week, and she also, a scientist, uh, founder of the Biomimicry Institute, teaching industry what they can learn from nature to solve problems that um, nature has already solved and that we tend to solve using a lot of toxic resources and a lot of waste. And so she's got a really interesting set of solutions. You know, so I, as you say that, I think the the moment is now as you're as you're describing it, and and it's exciting to think about what we really can do. We're going to take a little break again. I'm talking with Lynn Twist. I'm Kate Ebner, and you're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of The Costa Report, every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. This week, my guest is the author of It's Even Worse Than It Looks, respected political scientist Mr. Norman Ornstein. He was responsible for drafting the McCain-Feingold Act and will be here to discuss much-needed election reform in our country. Don't miss Norman Ornstein this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. 
is Kate Ebner, and you're listening to me today in a conversation with, um, you know, one of the people who inspires me the most, Lynn Twist. Lynn has spent more than three decades working in positions of leadership on so many global initiatives, including ending world hunger, protecting the world's rainforests, empowering indigenous people, improving health, economic, and political conditions for women and children, and advancing the scientific understanding of human consciousness and creating a sustainable future for all life. And I think for everyone listening, I'm so glad you are because I think you're getting a perspective that's... um, rare and important and one that we that needs to not be rare i think we all need to wake up to this to wake what's happening in our world oh thank you yeah well it's a joy to talk to you and to kind of spout out like this (laughs) well i love i mean i will not interrupt you tell you that um, well, you know, Lynn, we are, as you know, this uh, show is called Visionary Leader, Extraordinary Life, and you certainly are that. And I, I want to invite you, actually, to share, as you, as you started to do right before the break, you know, a vision of a future that, that you see, you know, a, a world that you can picture. I always think that vision is a detailed description of a desirable destination, one that mm. can be described in such a way that everybody who hears it says, I get it, I see it. And we we can really understand it. So I wanted to just invite you to um, look into the future and and share with us the vision that most inspires you, if you can. If you can. Yeah. Well, we um, we have a phrase at the Pachamama Alliance, which is the mission of our Awakening the Dreamer, Changing the Dream Symposium Program. And I'll just uh, reference the Indigenous partners that we have, who told us when we first met with them in the Amazon that um, the most important work we could do is change the dream of the modern world. And in a way, that's what you're asking me to talk about because the indigenous people see that we're in a kind of trance, a kind of a mythic trance um, dedicated to more of everything, growth as a good no matter what, um, more market share, more shoes, more companies, more sweaters, more highways, more more everything, more prisons, more more everything. And that mythic trance has us heading in a direction that is really a dream that's becoming a nightmare for ourselves in all forms of life. And they say the most important work we can do is to change the dream because you don't really end up addressing your everyday actions. You can't really change them. They will ultimately line up with what you're dreaming for. And if what you're dreaming for is a house in the suburbs and, a, 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 a you know, with two cars in, in, in front and a swimming pool in the back and then a summer home at the lake and da-da-da-da, you, you, you orient everything in your everyday actions towards that dream. And their suggestion, their strong mandate is to change the dream. So... Having said that, I will say that our the mission of the Awakening Dreamer Symposium is a new dream, uh, and that is to bring forth an environmentally sustainable, spiritually fulfilling, and socially just human presence on this planet. And that's a vision that has women in full, co-equal partnership with men, with equal wages, equal opportunity, equal value, really carrying their... Um, destiny uh, forward uh, with choice, with freedom, with complete and total partnership with men uh, in all parts of the world, including the Middle East, where that is not the case, and including in our country, where it is actually not even the case. Um, it's a world 
where um, girl children are valued as much as boy children. It's a world where um, environmental sustainability uh, and uh, viability with the natural resources that sustain us um, are revered and respected, uh, and the uh, rather than the laws that can be negotiated in the Senate floor, we live uh, with the non-negotiable laws of the natural world, which will put us in harmony not only with other species, but with one another and with ourselves. Um, the lack of peace with the natural world, the destruction, the violence of the natural world has a huge impact on our psyche. And in my vision, there is no more violence to the natural world, which as us actually understand violence against one another is no longer uh, viable, acceptable, but rather living in a kind of respect and an understanding of our common humanity, uh, our interconnected nature with all life. Um, governance uh, would be, uh, will be, I hope, uh, a kind of governance, uh, for, first of all, that includes women uh, in equal measure to men. Um, but we are governed uh, not only by our best ideas, uh, but also by paying close attention to the way the natural world operates, just as Janine Benius teaches so beautifully, and that there's a huge respect for spirit, spirit in not the form of any particular discipline or religion, but there's a real listening for uh, and respect uh, of spirit. Um, I see a world where um, where the... Uh, our experience of being a species is important to us, and we see that we are living in a communion of life with other species. So um, we see our relationship with lions, with tigers, with bears, with plants, with animals, and the indigenous people who will help us to find our way to that natural way of being um, have respect and are almost counselors uh, to the rest of the world in understanding the community of life. I see a world where, um, uh, and this is true now of indigenous people, where we don't individuate so, so completely. Um, actually, the good of the community, the well-being of the whole, the well-being of the, vi- of the village or the family or the community is of the highest ethic. And then within that, individuals can flourish rather than individuals succeeding at the expense of other people. I see a world where um, we, uh, we thrive uh, in our locality and we respect local food, local businesses, um, and we don't need to actually globalize everything. We can glocalize it, as Elizabeth Satora says, combining the word local and global because mm-hmm. everything now uh, local is also global. We know that mm-hmm. now, and everything mm-hmm. global actually is local. That's mm-hmm. our home. So let me stop and see if that's enough. Um, I could go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> you can. You have a, a, you have a vision that you have really given to us. And you know, as you, as you're saying it, you know, the hair on the back of my neck is rising, which I've learned is a sign of an amazingly inspiring vision, and you know, <laughs> one that we, we that we we benefit from hearing. You know, again, um, you know, for everybody listening. I, I want to encourage you to actually, if you're listening now, to go back and listen to this conversation again, not only for Lynn's message, but also for her language, because 
I have learned that we have to find the vocabulary to create the world we want to to create. And so um, there's new vocabulary here. For example, this phrase you've been using, um, the community of life, you know, to see ourselves as part of a community of life. That's such a powerful and complete phrase, and it really references that wholeness and that interconnectedness, um, the well-being of the whole that you were describing. Um, and so when we think that way, we we make different choices. Maybe mm-hmm. we, treat, we treat each other differently. We treat our, our, our world differently. Um, so, Lynn, thank you so much for um, for sharing that vision, and you know, I just want to encourage you to keep sharing that vision because um, you do it so beautifully, and it's what we all uh, long to hear. I think. Well, I'd love to add a few more details if you if you have time. We do have time. Why don't Why don't you go right ahead? Okay. Well, um, corporations would no longer be treated as people in um, in legal terms. Uh, we would withdraw personhood from corporations. They now are considered juridic persons, and um, nature would be given rights um, as they have been given rights in uh, in Ecuador and Bolivia and other countries. Now, um, the natural world would be protected. In the courts, um, uh, there would be no more money in politics. The uh, Citizens United decision of the Supreme Court would be reversed, and um, money would not be considered speech. Uh, and we would have uh, um, uh, campaigns would be financed publicly with public funds. Uh, we would have public banks, not private banks, um, and we would actually uh, uh, actually have a different, a completely different prison system. We would um, it would be. Uh, about remediation, it would be about um, reconciliation, it would be about um, really rehabilitation, and it would not be punitive. The millions of people who now sit in prison from um, minor offenses would would be um, part of our normal society. Um, that's in the United States, uh, and and I think the um, the spiritual foundation of uh, the human family would be much more evident because we're much more connected with the natural world, uh, which is a lot of the source of spiritual power for many, many, many people and certainly for all other species. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm just delighted with your question, and I'm cooking up all kinds of visions right now <laughs> in my head that I've never thought of before. And there's one other thing, if I have another minute, do I, before you want to take you a do. break? You do, you do. Um, I went to a lecture at Stanford last week, and I had my reunion uh, where I went to school. And um, there was a fabulous uh, point made by a man named Dr. Fred Luskin, who teaches uh, and studies forgiveness and also happiness. And he talked about a continuum of us and them. If you draw a long, 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 long line horizontally in front of you, and at one end of it um, uh, is an extreme example of us and them, which is a psychopathic person who's, there's only one, person he considers us or she considers us and that's themselves and everybody else is a them. Everybody else is someone to be afraid of or to destroy or to be um, or is dangerous and the only us is that one person. Everybody else is a them. Then you go to the all the way the other end of that long continuum line and uh, you see Buddha or Gandhi or Martin Luther King or Mother Teresa standing there and for that person, for those people, everybody's an us. There is no them. And um, the farther you move yourself uh, on that continuum towards the the Buddha end of that continuum, the more uh, people, as you look out in the world, are us rather than them, the happier 
the more contented, the more healthy your life and your choices are. Um, so I see a world where everybody is doing everything they can to move themselves uh, on that spectrum towards uh, where everybody's in us and there aren't any of them. So that's another thing I just heard that I love. So I wanted to share that with you. Oh, I'm so glad you did. And, you know, as I, as I hear that, it occurs to me that when we see everybody as an us, the fear factor diminishes because we aren't afraid of us. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody's someone to love, someone to partner with, someone to serve, someone to be in relationship with. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a beautiful vision, and I I I I was so struck by that wonderful metaphor that I wanted to share it. I'm really I'm really glad that you did, and I love the idea of a, of a continuum and of moving on that continuum. Um, you know, I want to ask you a question that probably I'm only giving you one minute to answer, but I I'm really interested in what you'll say, Lynn. So here we go. Um, transformation. You've you have created transformation everywhere you've gone. What does transformation mean to you? Um, transformation is distinct from change. Transformation never makes the past wrong or denies it. It has it come to fruition and make sense. Transformation is the liberation of consciousness from finite and limited forms of identity into a larger understanding of who you are the responsibility and privilege of being alive. Um, I don't know if I have more time to say more, but that's what I think transformation is, and it's very distinct from change. Change is good, but it can go back and forth, but transformation is permanent. Uh, Once you have a transformation, uh, you see everything differently, uh, and it carries both into your past, it, it transforms the present, and it transforms the future. Lynn, thank you so much for that and for being a guest on the show. And I would like to ask, where can people go to experience you and your work? Well, the soulofmoney.org uh, website is kind of my website. Uh, and it has a lot of information about our Soul of Money work, but also about the other work I do with the Nobel Women Laureates. Um, the Pachamama website, as you already told people, is pachamama.org, P-A-C-H-A-M-A-M-A.org. That's the work we do with indigenous people in the rainforest and educational programs around the world. The Hunger Project, I still send people to. That's php.org. Um, and then the Nobel Women's Initiative is N-W-I, Nobel Women's Initiative. Dot org. Um, those are websites that you'll find me on and wonderful things that you hopefully will be interested in supporting. I, thank you very much for sharing that. And I know you're also doing a fundraising from the Heart Workshop in New York City, I think, in, in this month. Is that right? Oh, thank you so much. I would have forgotten to say that. Yes. Oh, yes, yes, yes. On um, October 26th and 27th, that's a Friday and a Saturday, I'm leading a fundraising workshop training um, in New York City at the Scandinavia House on Park Avenue. And I would love for anyone who wants to uh, have a transformation in their relationship uh, with asking for money and being a fundraiser for your school or your cause or your film or whatever to come and join us there. And you can find out about that on my website, soulofmoney.org, October 26th and 27th in New York City, Fundraising from the Heart. Beautiful. 
Lynn, thank you so much for being with me. Okay, thank you for being with me, and I'm so happy that we're friends and colleagues and sisters and partners in this wonderful world. So thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to have a conversation with you. It was a joy. It was. It, it has been a joy. Have a great day, and thank you, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. Bye-bye. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.